Happy Halloween. Go Braves. I, it was weak what we did before. I'm sorry. It's worth more than that. I mean, you know, it's a big deal. I hope you were up watching baseball. Um, what a fun time for our city. Um, go, yeah, right. Thank you. It's good stuff. I don't even care that much about baseball, but I do love this city, and I, um, I love getting to celebrate with all of you. If you have Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm 137. And uh, I'm going to, while you're turning there, just remind you, we have for the last several weeks here at Trinity been going through a study of the book of Galatians. We wrapped that up last week. Bishop Todd was here to um, take us home uh, with that study. We did the study video last week. Just want to say good on all of you for those of you who've been studying along outside of Sundays. It's been such a rich and I think really rewarding time together in the Bible. We're going to pivot back into the lectionary, as is our habit here at Trinity, to preach from this centuries-old Bible reading and preaching plan through the Book of Common Prayer. That's our practice here. And so we're going to do that starting in the month of November. We'll be in the Psalms, actually, for a few weeks, thinking about the Holy Spirit and prayer. This week, however, is a kind of pivot week because, of course, it is Halloween. It's All Hallows' Eve. Tomorrow is All Saints' Day. And for those of you who grew up in the liturgical church, churches like the Catholic Church or others, that's probably more familiar to you than those of us who did not, like myself. I don't know that I ever really knew what All Saints Day was. But it's a day given by the church, a call rather, to celebrate and to remember the lives of the saints. Uh, not just the, you know, official Catholic ones, those formally sainted, but, you know, regular people who've been made holy by their faith in Jesus and uh, I didn't grow up with this day or call to remembrance. That's, by the way, what requiem means. It's an act or a token of remembrance, a call to remember. And I didn't grow up with a practice for doing that. You know, you do funerals, and then it's kind of like, you know, good luck with the grieving after that. And this day has become for me really precious as a result because every year um, I get to come into this church and um, see the names of people I've really loved and lost and remember the faith of my grandmother who nobody is, she's not sainted and she's not going to be in a stained glass anywhere in any cathedral. But um, I believe she's the reason I'm here, you know, the Lord Jesus himself firstly and then my grandmother's prayers. It's a call to remember my friend Marisa who died when we were in college, you know, normal people whose voices I can still hear and their lives with Jesus have inspired me. And so I just want to say to you, if you don't have a practice for, you know, on a regular basis, sort of making space to remember and then to inevitably grieve because that's what happens when we remember. We both celebrate, right, the goodness of somebody's life, but then there's, you know, there's a hurt and a loss that we feel. And this is a space, the Requiem Service, uh, for you to do that. And what we're going to do today is think together about grief and loss through the psalm. And I just want to say, <clears throat> um, firstly, you're like, oh, man, it's one of the World Series. It's game five tonight, you know? It's Halloween. We've done enough of grieving and enough of talking about loss. Let me just say, there are some of you in this room who are in an acute place of grief. The grief for you is very present. It's very real. Others of you, you're not in that place. Regardless, I want you to know, I don't believe that the call today the work for us to do is to be sad together. I don't know that I ever think that that's really the goal. Sadness is a, is a part of grief for sure. But I think the hope for today, the call really, is to see the goodness of Jesus, what we sang about, even as we grieve for those of us who are grieving, and for the rest of us, um, just to make space, to remember that he is in fact the author of life. And I don't know that it's ever more important that we remember that and know what it means 
It's one thing to say it, you know, Jesus is the author of life. But what does it mean? Because I would submit to you that it means a lot, in particular to those of you who are grieving. Jesus is not done telling a story of life in you and through you, no matter what you're going through, no matter what we are going through as a church or as people through this pandemic, whatever we carry. So that's what we're going to be thinking about as we look at the psalm. So if you have your Bibles, we'll look at the psalm together. I'm going to read from um, the NRSV, which is a different translation than the one that you have up on the screen. It comes from the Book of Common Prayer. I suspect you'll get the gist. We'll read and we'll pray. The psalmist writes, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs and our tormentors asked us for mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither, let the tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy Spirit, Lord, we do in fact give you thanks, Lord, for this word, for these words that have made it, Jesus, against all odds across space and time and a lot of hurt to be here with us. Lord, these words, I pray this morning, would be evidence for us that even the most bitter pain, Lord, through your spirit and by your spirit, Lord, can become something healing and redemptive. And I pray, Lord, that we would choose to let the psalm remind us of that fact, that we would be reminded by you, Lord, today that no matter what pain we carry or feel, the grief that we're passing through, that you, Lord, are in fact working all things to good, that your goodness is in fact running with us and after us. There's something redemptive that you're doing even when we hurt. Help us see it, Jesus. Help us to see you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the setting for the psalm is the Babylonian exile. It's easy to, I think, uh, forget sometimes that these poems, these songs, were written by real people experiencing real pain. They've been gathered up over centuries, of course, people who, out of their pain and their hurt, wrote, made art, which is what every good artist does. You know, you take the thing, you take real life, and you make it into something Beautiful. It's a way for a lot of people of expressing the pain that they feel. And I think a way for God to make art out of hurt. You know, that that's just a commitment that he does. We say sometimes he brings beauty out of ashes. I think the Psalms are a real testament to God's ability to do that. That these words, which were no doubt written out of bitter agony by a real exile, sitting by the real rivers of Babylon, that that bitter agony can be for us all these years later a source of hope and healing is pretty miraculous to me. I just want us to like remember that. The Babylon exile happened in the 6th century for Israel. Um, just as a kind of reminder, if you'll remember, there was a time when the empire of Babylon came in and literally knocked down Jerusalem, the holy city of David. And it's really hard to overstate or emphasize the significance of this moment 
or the pain that it caused. Thousands of people, of course, died in this conflict, but thousands more were taken into exile, captive into Babylon. And so much of your Old Testament was written trying to grapple with or make sense of this impossible pain that they felt. It was the thing that was never supposed to happen. Uh, the city of David, the promises of God. Jerusalem was this hope that we have the light of the world, so to speak, right? That God was going to do what he had said he was going to do through his people. And Jerusalem was held as this sort of visible example of that. And it just got leveled to the ground. And so many people died. And it was a really, really painful time, uh, to put it mildly. And so here the psalmist is trying to like, grapple with uh, this, this fact, as I was uh, thinking about and reading the psalm, um, I was reminded of uh, my own pain, uh, my own sense of, of loss and grief when I've experienced it. That death and loss and grief, when it comes, does in fact kind of always feel like the end of the world, particularly if it's acute. You know, it was literal for Israel, right? Babylon came and knocked their world down, quite literally. I would say to those of you who've ever experienced grief, particularly the really acute kind, that's kind of the way it always feels when you lose somebody that you love a lot. It's like the world ends, at least the world as you knew it, the world that you've had together. You wake up one morning and everything's different. And in that way, death and loss just in general can feel like an invading enemy. And I would submit to you that's because that's what it is. According to the Bible, we're eternal things. We're meant for life. We're meant for love. We belong to each other and to God. And so anything that would tear us apart from one another or from the Lord himself is an intruder, an invader, an enemy. And death and sin and brokenness, they are exactly those things. Uh, death, of course, is an acute example of this, but I would submit to you that really there are a lot of kind of loss that has this impact smaller deaths, so to speak, that I've experienced in my own life alongside real death. But things like, for example, divorce is a kind of death. For those of you who have endured it, you know that. The loss of a community or a friendship is a kind of death, a kind of painful loss. Abuse or trauma, when it comes, can feel like, you know, the invasion of an enemy like a death of sorts. And as I was thinking about that, you know, um, that fact, I was thinking about my own story and remembering, um, it's been years ago now, but uh, my dad uh, left our family when I was a senior in high school, but we'd been losing him for years before that to addiction. And um, even now, even though he didn't die, all these years later, at 37, with kids of my own, when I recall those years and that pain, um, and those of you who grieve know this feeling, the knots in my stomach are as real now as they were 20 years ago. The grief that I feel, even now, is very fresh. It's always right there at the surface, you know? That's just how it, how it comes. And I remember at the time thinking, like, how cruel it felt what we were experiencing because our life together prior to this time had been um, home quite literally and then you know the drugs came 
sin came, brokenness came, and it disrupted, to put it mildly, my whole life. It really did wreck the world. And that wrecking of the world left me as a teenager feeling like, I think, not an exaggeration to say, like an exile a little bit in the world. And I think grief is that. I think grief is a kind of exile. Those of you who've grieved know what it feels like. Have you ever been driving, like, in your car? <laughs> this is, happens to me sometimes still. Something horrible will happen, and I'll be driving, and I'll, like, be at a light next to somebody who's, like, you know, blaring Kanye in their speakers. And just the disparity of the moment that we're both having, do you know what I mean? It's like, for me, the whole world is over, and you're just getting down some Kanye over there, you know? And that's just how life works. And that's so hard to make sense of. And I hear that in the psalmist. That's what I think he means. He's trying to sit in these rivers in Babylon, and his tormentors, his captors, have asked them to sing songs. And he, like, says out loud, how? How do you sing songs in a foreign land? How do you live life when you're grieving? How do you keep faith? In grief, how do you do all the things I'm supposed to do? How do I hope when, you, when I'm here? And that is such a human question, a really important question to ask. Those of you who've grieved, you've, you've felt it, you know. Um, what do we do when we feel like that? Grief has a way of just sort of upending and wrecking the world, the psalmist says this, on the willows there, that's, that's the language better in the Hebrew, on the willows there, in that place, in Babylon, we hung up our hearts. For there our captors asked us for songs and our tormentors asked us for mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song? in a foreign land. Babylon could never be home to the Jew after the exile. That's how they felt for the psalmist. This will never be home. I might as well hang up my heart because I cannot make a home here in this place without all the things I've loved, without God as he has promised to be, without the world that I have known, I will never, I refuse to make my home in a place like Babylon. Without Jerusalem, there is no home. And if you've ever grieved, you know exactly what he means. There's also, though, I would say it's harder to see a kind of turning point in the psalm. In verse 5, listen to what he says. If I forget you, O Jerusalem... Let my right hand wither. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Here's the turning point. And the reason I think this is so poignant and important is because if you'll remember at the beginning of the psalm, just a few verses before, the psalmist said, when we remembered Zion, we sat down and wept. 
It was the memory of Zion that shut us down, that made me feel like I couldn't go on. I tried to remember home. I tried to remember what it felt like to be there, and the feeling was overwhelming. It was too much. I just sat down and cried. And I just want to say to you, that's a stage of grief. That's a whole stage in and of itself. I'm not a therapist. I am not a therapist. It's not we do. There are people who do that. Thanks be to God, you're qualified and trained to do that. And we need them when we grieve. I've been told by trained people that there are stages to grief. And that's a real one. But then there's this pivot at some point that the psalmist makes in the psalm. And he says, all of a sudden, if I forget Jerusalem, if I do not remember, let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth, let my hands wither, which is another way of saying, let me be mute and useless if I do not remember. So something's happened. Now remembering has become for him an act of defiance an actual way to live, rather than bringing with it the burden of death. And that's fascinating to me, and true, I can say, out of my own experience even. I know, to some degree, what he means. What he's, I think, saying, and I believe there is an invitation from all of us to hear. There's a stage of grief in which the very real and right thing to do is just, like, be in it. And you can't really function normally, and no one should expect you to. It's too hard. It's too heavy. But then there's coming a point in which if you don't make a pivot of sorts, you'll cease living altogether. You won't have the praise that you're meant to have, the voice you're meant to have. You won't have the agency that you're meant to have in the world. And at that stage, memory becomes really important. Remembering the good, the promises. And so it's important, like, what did he mean by Jerusalem? When he says, if I do not remember you, Jerusalem, or set you above my highest joy, of course, of course we know Jerusalem was an actual, literal place. But to the Jew, it was so much more than that. And I believe to us, and would submit to you that today, it's meant to be representative of so much more than that. Jerusalem was the place where heaven and earth came together. It was the place where God had set up his footstool. It was a visible promise, a reminder that God was going to set the world to rights. He was going to take care of things, do what he said he was going to do. That was Jerusalem. So here's why I think this is important for us. Because if you have ever, y'all, loved somebody or something, you know what I mean, like really loved them. They become for you a glimpse or a taste of Jerusalem, heaven, God. It's the reason we love. It's because it reminds us of home, of the way things are meant to be. And so that's why the loss of them is so painful, because we're not meant to lose God. We're not meant to lose love. That's the stuff we're meant to have forever. So with it comes a great deal of pain. Here's what I want to submit to you. There becomes a point in our grieving in which we have to start to remember, intentionally call to mind, that there is a love and a life that is more real than all the loss that we feel. Because if I don't intentionally call that to mind, the losses will start to seem more real than the love with a capital L and the life that I believe in. Do you know what I mean? We live in a world that constantly emphasizes to us the brokenness, 
my Lord, if no one else does it for you, CNN will, Fox will, NPR will, and even our nature, right? By nature, it's what we do. We talk about and criticize things that are not as they should be. And in part, it's because we want to make things right. But it's also just nature to do that. That's the world we live in. So what we do here, what I believe Jesus does through the power of his Holy Spirit is put in front of you the promises of life and love that you're meant for that are ultimately more real, more ultimate, more good than the pain and the loss and the death that exists in this world. Life, y'all, is more real and more ultimate than death itself. That's what we believe by virtue of our faith. And you know what that means in my own life? That means that my memories of my dad as a good dad are more real than the drugs who took him away from me. And it is important that I believe that. Because if the drugs become more real, so will my cynicism. Does that make sense? So will the bitterness and the pain. It will consume me rather than holding out that like, no, the drugs were real and they hurt and they're awful. But that love that we had, that was more real, more ultimate. And God is at work in me and in the people around me to restore and repair and make things right. I don't know what your version of that story is, but you have one. The friendships that you have lost are more real than the brokenness that took them from you. The church that Jesus died for is more good, more real than the sin that lives in us. It's true. That's why he died for it. He believes in it. And he only believes in real things. So I would say to you, you have a call. At some point, you're going to need to make a pivot. Some of you are in a grieving place that you're meant to be in. And it would be not just unfair, it would be unkind, unhealthy for someone, anyone, to demand songs of you. God is not asking you for songs in the acute stages of your grief. So don't feel bad for not being able to sing them. You're all right. You sit and cry and know that you serve a God who is intimately familiar with grief. There's this image in the Psalms that says that God catches our tears in a bottle, which I've always thought was a kind of weird thing to imagine. Like, I don't know why that's supposed to be comforting. (laughs) It's kind of awkward to imagine God doing that. But if you think about it, what they're trying to say is that God is tending to every single tear. He is tending to you in your grief as if he cared enough about the tears that you cry to try to catch them in his hands, every one of them that fell. That's how near to you he is in your pain. So you just be there with him. You're fine. But at some point, you're going to need to make a pivot and a shift. Because if you don't, The loss will swallow you up. It will make you mute. It will make your life and you as a person with less effective, have less agency than you're meant to have. So can you hear the Lord say that death and sin do not get to tell your story? Jesus is the author of life. And even in and through your grief and the pain that we feel, he is telling a good story, one of life and redemption. And there are certain points in it when we just can't see the next page, and that's okay, we're not meant to.
One of my favorite uh, books is a book called uh, Godric by Frederick Buechner. It's, um, it's a story about an old monk, cranky monk, who shouldn't be a monk. And at the end of the book, he's old and feeble, and his best friends are two snakes and a river. And the river he's named Ware, W-E-A-R. And he used to go and sit in the river and talk to it, and now he's too old, and so he goes and he scoops the river out, and he brings it back into his like little monk living room. And he puts it in a bowl, and he prays. And at the end of the book, he's having a vision of God looking into the water. He has a vision of the Lord. And he says, I won't tell you the secrets that pass between us. Uh, but this one thing I will say. And he says this. What's lost is nothing to what's found. And all the death that ever was said next to life would scarcely fill a cup. That's what it means to set Jerusalem above my highest joy. It is to hold out Jesus and who he is and the life that is in him and the hope that we have and put it out above all of the pain and the hurt and even the joys and let him, like, pull me through. Because all the loss and pain and death there ever was set next to life would scarcely fill a cup. It is the secret of your faith. It was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. Some incredible joy. The heart of God. God's intention to make the world right, make all of us right, the church right, your life right. It was for that joy that Jesus endured the pain of the moment. And you can too. By his spirit. With him. So if you need a space, I'll just say this before we pray. To come and sit and think on these things, come tomorrow night. Even if you don't, I would ask you this question. What is the Jerusalem that you need to hold out in front of you right now? What is the promise of God, the good thing, the love with a capital L, that you need to hold out in front of you while you grieve? While we grieve, can we focus our attention there so that we can get through the grieving in the way we're meant to? Amen. Jesus, will you help us, Lord? Holy Spirit, will you tend to us now even? When our hearts are heavy and hard. Where we, Lord, don't even have the energy to hope. We ask you, Jesus, for your help, your mercy. Come, Lord. You are our good shepherd. Lead us through the valleys, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together if we're able.